When I was um, preparing for this talk today, I was thinking, Lord, what, what does your word really mean to us today? How does it impact our lives? And uh, he took me to um, a psalm which we all know well. Um, it's uh, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, that, that intrigued me for the moment because I couldn't see what relevance that had necessarily to uh, Acts uh, 3 and 4, which we're going to look at in a, in a few moments. Because it says here, God's word is a lamp to our feet. It doesn't say it, it, it's a lamp way off in the distance because I guess when they had lamps in those days they were probably oil burning lamps I would imagine and they would just hold them up and the light would be just around their feet sufficient not to stumble over a, a stone or to see a scorpion that you might uh, suffer from if it got through, you, uh, through the open toed sandals and things of that sort so here's God saying my words a light to your feet it, it's it's a word for now the illumination is just sufficient for us to take the next step doesn't show us what's right down the path and it provides us I feel with the with the assurance there's a certain security about having a bit of light around you and it's saying God's with us all the time he's alongside us in in our walk together with him and so it provides us with just sufficient uh, illumination to deal with the immediate, deal with that which is facing us right now. Because I feel that if we knew what was happening further down the line, it might frighten the wits out of us. And in fact, God's word also covers that. Because he says this in, in John, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now we invariably want to know more, don't we? We want to know why, uh, we want to know how, we want to know when. But God is a God of sufficiency. He just tells you sufficient that you need for the moment. I remember uh, reading, of course, Paul pleaded with God three times to remove the thorn that was troubling him. Now we don't know what that thorn was, we can only speculate on that thorn. But, but then God said these things, he said, don't worry, in effect, my grace is sufficient for you. And for my strength is, is perfect in weakness. In other words, my strength shows up best in weak people. We don't have strength of our own, but God supplies us with all that we need. So I feel God is saying to you and me, we need to trust him. Just need to trust him for the everyday. To take care of matters no matter how problematic they might be to us God's got it all in control we don't need to be sort of 
academic theologians even to understand it. Uh, the disciples, we're going to read later, or we're going to learn later, were uneducated, untrained men. And yet they confounded the authorities who were the learned ones. But their knowledge of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that they possessed revealed all the inadequacies that the so-called learned ones had. So, likewise, we need to draw upon God's word daily. It's an important thing. It's just like eating. We, we, we all know we need food. I, I enjoy eating, I don't know about you. But it's sufficient. We need to take as enough for the day. We don't want to gorge ourselves. We want sufficient for our strength, for our health. And we don't know what we're going to eat in a month's time. It doesn't matter. Just need to know what is sufficient for the day. So God's word is similar to that. And I feel that a daily portion of God's word is a good habit to get into. It will sustain you and it will help you. So take from today how God might be revealing what he wants you to take as your next step. That which is illuminating your path now, not somewhere down the line. Okay, let's get on with the story that we're supposed to be talking about, shall we? Let me remind you uh, something of the, um, the story that we're talking about. So here we are, now we're going to start our thoughts from Acts uh, 3 and 4. So it's such a long passage, I, won't, I, I would have liked to have read it. I'm hoping you would have read it. Uh, yourselves if you've had time but of course you were asked to read through Acts if you could but I'll try and summarize some of the things that uh, were happening during the course of these, 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 uh, this, this story here so we pick up the story in actual fact with uh, Peter and John making their way to the temple to pray when they're accosted by a lame beggar who is seeking no more than to receive money. He wants money. And clearly he is unable to work because they had to carry him there, it said. And he'd been there for many years, so they knew all about him. He was quite a familiar figure uh, in that particular location. Now, I don't know how you feel when you're passing homeless people in the street, but sometimes we can be quite embarrassed about the whole thing. Not because they're in need, because you think, I don't want to supply this need. But sometimes, of course, the need is quite perverse. It's probably to feed a drug habit or something of that sort. That sort. And of course, we're uncertain as to what's happening there when we do that. And so it can, we're in two minds as to what we might do. Um, however, any such encounter, God can be in that, that situation. And we must expect encounters to occur in our lives where we have opportunity to share something of the faith and hope that we have within us. Um, I, I remember a situation where I was speaking just like this, when the church was in two uh, two groups. We have one, uh, one group at uh, Steepleview and another group at Felmores. 
And I happened to be speaking on Felmore's when that day when there was a, an interruption at the back of the room and a guy walked in pushing a pram with a baby in it, asking for money. Now this caused a bit of a stir and when you're speaking that sort of makes you feel, what shall I do here? And John Holliday, who you probably, uh, some of you may remember, bless him, um, started to talk to this guy at the back and then he interrupted and said, what shall we do? <laughs> and I, I didn't really have a clue as to how we should handle this situation in the middle of my talk, as it were. And I just felt, I said, well, look, let's take some money from the collection. We'll go across to the shops and we'll buy him some food but don't give him money. I just felt that was right. I subsequently found out that guy was a drug addict. But I think that he felt something or would have experienced something of the love of God through God's people as a result of at least getting something to eat, if nothing else. These are strange occurrences and they happen to us sometimes. And it's, I guess, opportunities that God gives us to reflect him. Well, let's get back to the story. As a result of this miraculous healing that this man experiences, because, as you know, Peter said, look at me, look at me. I don't have money, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And pulled him to his feet. Now, you know what happens. The guy is absolutely miraculously healed, leaps around absolutely overjoyed with the prospect of now having never able never been able to walk in his life can now do all these amazing mo mobile things but of course because he's well known the people around uh, are dumbfounded as to what's going on and they all rush to come and see what's what's happening providing Peter with the opportunity to explain a divine encounter that we are all asking God to happen in our lives. And uh, Peter now sort of addresses the crowd. And um, he really talks about how you lot are to blame. You killed him. You are the ones that, that cried out, crucify him, in effect, is what he's saying. You brought him to that place of unjust crucifixion. And he again testifies to the resurrection and the power of Jesus that has healed this, this uh, lame man. So in addition to this complicity in, in, in this man's death, um, he, he, he commands, in fact, he calls upon to repent of what you've done. Turn away from what you've done. Find forgiveness in Jesus yourselves and find the refreshing that God wants to give you. What do we read? 5,000 people came to the Lord because of that very thing that they witnessed. Never, ever belittle divine opportunities. I don't know what happened to that guy with that pram, with the baby in it. That, that is something only God knows. But let's just trust that something of the love of God's people did something in his life that made a change. Now the attention that this situation occurred, in, in, uh, brought about in Acts, um, attracted the uh, disapproval of the religious leaders of the day. 
among whom were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, as you know, uh, are completely against the resurrection. They, they, they don't believe in resurrection life. And here's pre Peter preaching about Jesus raising himself, being raised from the dead and is performing these amazing things still, even after they've, they've crucified him. But these Sadducees amongst them obviously hated the prospect of their authority was being undermined by these uneducated and untrained people. Whereas they were educated. They'd received knowledge. They knew the scriptures. But it meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing because it was all religiosity and it wasn't reality, which is what we seek. So what do they do? It's a police state. They arrest them. They arrest Peter and John and overnight they're kept in prison. And in the morning uh, they bring them out to their kangaroo court as it were. And, uh, but Peter, you know, he, he's no longer the Peter that was intimidated when Jesus was arrested. The one that denied him three times. He's now emboldened. He's, in, he's, he's, he's got the power of the, of the Holy Spirit within him. And what does he do? He, he sort of declares before them, before these religious experts, he's saying, faith in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the source of this man's healing. Now he didn't just say faith in the name of Jesus. He, he put on Jesus the Christ and from Nazareth, so they knew exactly who he was talking about, because Jesus was a common name in those days. So they, they really got the picture, well and truly, on, on that situation. But they were hamstrung, the authorities. They're hamstrung because they were unable to punish them. They couldn't punish them because the crowd had witnessed all this, and they had to confess and acknowledge that a notable miracle had occurred. But they couldn't explain why, even though Peter had told them exactly why. So what did they do? They wanted to punish them. So they sternly warned them. They, they rebuked them and said, you, you're not to speak in this name. You're forbidden to speak in this name. And uh, what do we read? We read this. And they called them. And commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, Oh, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, or more than God, or you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And what does that result in? They go and tell, having been released, they go and tell all the others that the religious leaders had threatened them with all sorts of, well, I don't know what, what it might be, imprisonment, crucifixion, whatever they might have, uh, have uh, uh, threatened them with. But what did they do, this, the, the, the group of Christians? Immediately, they entreated God to give them boldness. They said, we're not going to stand up for this. Lord, how are we going to handle this situation? They took it to the Lord together. And they asked for boldness to speak the word and asking God to release power so that healing signs and wonders could be done uh, and be accomplished in the name of Jesus. 
But well, this is what I like. What sort of power that prayer had. The place was shaken. Can you imagine it? It must be frightening in actual fact. But the fact that God is there gives you security. And so the place was shaken and they were all filled, we read. Now whether that's refilled, it says to me one thing incidentally, just in passing. We don't get a once in a lifetime infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing process. We keep on asking, Lord come, fill me anew, fill me anew. It means you've been filled once, perhaps. You haven't been filled, ask him. It's good. It's fantastic. You see what happens when you allow God to rule in your lives there. Okay, they were amazing, exciting times we read of. And uh, in fact, they did. They spoke the word with boldness, it says in, in the word there. And only that, they found a new sense of unity and they shared all their own possessions and they saw that nobody lacked didn't mean to say that one had more, didn't have more than another. Of course they did. Things are just like they are today. But they saw that nobody suffered. Nobody lacked in their, in their uh, dealing with one another. Are we ready for something to happen similar to that here t today in Basildon? Can you know? We can't limit God. God can do whatever he likes, but we can inhibit him somewhat by our lack of faith. But when we welcome him, when we say, Lord, we want this, we want your presence, we want your Holy Spirit in our lives, it's going to make a difference. And I'm quite prepared for this place to shake. It might shake up a few other people as well, but who worries? What God is doing is great. Okay, that's a, a very crude summary of that chapter. Well, what sort of thoughts do we get from it? What can we learn together from that account? Well, as Christians, we have a, a, a gift from God that's priceless. We have faith in Jesus. We've got total forgiveness. We needn't worry anymore. God has forgiven us not only for what we've done, but he also forgives us what we will do if we step out of line. And if we do step out of line, He's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess that we've messed up again. God's good. He's amazing. We may like the idea of monetary riches, um, which is what this beggar was seeking. He wanted money. But what's money? There, it's short-lived and pathetic. Uh, compared with what God offers us. You can't enrich God. We, God gives you everything that you need uh, to time and time again. I, I, I know in Matthew 26 it, it says, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? So there's no price on a future with God. It, it's It's... It's immeasurably great. It's immeasurably wonderful. So secondly, I think from that passage, we need to look, look out for divine encounters. Go around when you are walking, when you're 
dealing with other people, there may be an opportunity to pray. I know the other day, I think Chrissy's already uh, mentioned this to you, she was out doing the front garden. And a lady came past that lives just down the road and sort of um, was talking how she was concerned about her, her, um, her relative. And she comes from Indonesia, I think. And, um, and Chrissy just said, well, look, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, please. And there, out in the front garden, on the lawn, she prays for this lady uh, who's, who's really blessed by the fact that somebody takes that, that interest in her. Now, what we didn't know at that time, she's a Buddhist. <laughs> now, you're showing somebody of a religion that we recognize has all sorts of connotations which are totally alien to Christianity, but here's a Christian praying for a Buddhist. And God loves everybody. He doesn't care what you are or what your background was. He wants you because he loves you and he follows you through. Look for divine encounters in your life when these things happen. Some people actually want to know, for example, the real meaning to life. And uh, they can really mess up there, you know, because science, well, I love science. I, it really fascinates me. And being an engineer uh, by, by profession, I, science plays a big part of engineering as such. But science is so often, especially when it comes to um, origins of life is, is often portrayed as an indisputable fact. That's rubbish because so much of what is shared uh, about the origins of, of life is, is actually theory. It's not fact at all. It's somebody's supposition and it hasn't been proved. You can't prove it any more than you can prove God. But we can experience him and we do experience him. So there's our certainty, even if the, if the proof isn't there. Fourthly, on our thoughts, we don't need the, the intellect of a, um, a Justin Welby or, or Professor Brian Cox or an Albert Einstein to even begin to understand what God can accomplish through anyone who believes, because Jesus chooses normal, ordinary people like you and I. He reveals himself to ordinary people. He's not interested in your intellect. He's only interested in your heart, your faith, your belief in him. And Peter, as we know, was just a, an ordinary fisherman like many of the others too. And the religious leaders recognized and they were amazed. They said, well, this they're uneducated and they're untrained, as we mentioned earlier. But they couldn't dispute that God was with them. And that's what really threw them completely. So being religious will get us nowhere. Being religious is a totally toothless tiger. It doesn't mean anything. But following Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us is the key to living life in the fall. And what did Jesus say? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You want abundant life? Find Jesus. He'll, he'll change your life considerably. But Peter and John, when they were in front of the, the Inquisition as such, they just simply stated their conviction. This is what they said. 
If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man and by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven a given amongst men by which we must be saved. Pretty clear that. What a conviction. Great conviction. It's our conviction too. Those followers knew the risks that they now faced because of the threats that have been made to them from the religious authorities, as it were. And that it was the self-same authorities that had plotted to kill Jesus and schemed to have him crucified. But in doing so, they unwittingly brought about God's plan to redeem all, all of us, all mankind. But they nevertheless posed an enormous threat to the, to the believers of the day. And so what did the believers do in response? In one accord, they took it to God, requesting that he give them boldness to speak. That's what we need, boldness. Realising who we are in God, sharing what God has done in our lives. Let God's Holy Spirit do the rest. We've only got to be witnesses. That's all he calls us to be, witnesses. Testifying, making disciples, sharing what, there's, what God has done in our lives. No gagging order was going to inhibit their testimony. It says in Acts 4.24, they raised their voice to God. And the outcome? Well, we spoke of the outcome. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke, spoke the word of God with boldness. And as a result... A new spirit of togetherness and generosity was the result, the, the outcome. Uh, they wanted none of them amongst them to be in need at all. They weren't looking for, uh, for everyone to be exactly the same, and they, but they didn't want any of their fellow Christians to suffer any lack. So how do we respond to those in need around us? We can be willing to give of our time, to help we can use those gifts and talents or, or levels of expertise that we have to assist those that are, are uncertain or unable to cope we can do that we can practice hospitality especially to those outside of the uh, the faith let's be hospitable to people that don't know Jesus as well our neighbors and our friends and we can be faithful in our giving of money to the Lord's work because God loves us to give cheerfully and not reluctantly you know we can never enrich God with our giving he's got it all at any rate but we can release God to pour out on us a, a blessing such that we'll be overwhelmed our tithes and our offerings simply reveal hear this they simply reveal the esteem in which we hold God that's what our gifts do to him. We show how much we love him 
how much we appreciate what he's done in our lives. And God said, those who esteem me, well, this is what he said to those that esteem me. It comes from Malachi. And Malachi says this, try me, try me. This is God speaking, try me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That's what our giving releases God to do. That's how much we can show our esteem for him. So what's my final conclusion? Well, with God in our lives, things take on a completely new perspective. Amen? Good.